I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Light at the end of the tunnel. That's just the sun rising over the range. It's high noon for Monday, December 20th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator dot substack dot com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop dot spreadshirt dot com slash cancel dash couture. A lot of people have been asking about how to support the show directly in the description now I have an address for a Bitcoin wallet if you are up on the whole crypto thing. I may add my Venmo in there at some point if that's what people decide is convenient. I've been trying to set up on a site called Subscribestar, but they won't approve my profile, I guess because I don't have Twitter, which is very strange. But ultimately, it may be just as easy to simply subscribe on anchor.fm slash I'm your moderator and just join for $5 a month or $10 a month or whatever you can do to support the show. Uh, $5 a month is like a quarter an episode. Basically, I think I do about 20 episodes a month or around there. So a quarter an episode, five bucks a month. If everybody who listened every day did that, It would certainly be a huge help to me as I round out the end of another year of essentially doing this show for free. That said, I don't want anybody to feel like they have to donate because I know a lot of people are having financial hardships after two years of this nonsense, and I'm right there with you. But people have asked, and that's the answer. Today is the 334th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. After arguing for two years that COVID is the most devastating illness to have ever stricken man. You now find yourself arguing that it's not that because, well, now you're vaxxed and multiple times even. And you know still that you're going to get COVID. And of course, some people are very angry about this and some people are still in denial about this. But you are about to learn that none of your mitigation steps ever helped at all. And your vaccine doesn't help at all. In fact, your vaccine makes it worse. So you're welcome to double mask and triple mask and write more think pieces about your support 
of lockdowns, even though they don't work and just destroy society and the lives of individuals within those societies. And you can write in favor of vaccine mandates and argue how it's the unvaccinated who are actually causing all the danger, except no one can really argue that's true anymore. And even people who have listened to the television for two years and done whatever they were told, even those people are waking up to the fact that they have been lied to the entire time. And unfortunately, everything they did and thought and said was all for absolutely nothing. And hey, I get it. You wanted to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. You're a very good, very serious person who just wanted to help out everyone else by doing very, very little. In fact, the bare possible minimum, aside from how committed you were to repeating the slogans, I understand this is not how you wanted things to end up. You were convinced that you were doing the right thing. You were being told the right thing. And every time you were repeating the thing you were told, that too was the right thing to do. Turns out, no. And if you're finally coming to that realization, then what you need to do is get rid of all of the rest of the ideas just like that, that you still keep bouncing around inside your skull and all that extra space your child brain just isn't big enough to fill. Just get rid of all of it. And once you do, you then only need to make amends with all of the people you've shamed and bullied and slandered and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. And I know it seems hard because of how awful you were, but I can tell you for the most part, those people will accept your apologies and they will say, I'm so glad that you have finally woken up to what everybody else thought was just extraordinarily obvious truth for the last two years. But hey, it's good to have you back. They will welcome you with open arms because all of us want more Americans in the project of America, which is the project of human liberty and self-governance. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Monday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. I didn't have to scream because I feel you getting closer now. Closer, commies, closer. Redeem yourselves, my fair communists. Now, I want to start pretty much where we stopped on Friday, which is the vaccination problem in the NFL and the COVID problem in the NFL. I was talking on Friday about how the NFL had very little space to be able to actually cancel games because at this point of the season, the bye weeks are gone. There is one open week between the NFC and AFC championship weekend and the Super Bowl weekend. There's one open week there. So if they were to cancel a week's slate of games, they could still make it up that one time, but that would be it. And even that is a pretty major disruption for the NFL. And I said, it's possible that they could push the games back a few days as they did last year at times. And as I was posting the podcast on Friday, that's exactly what the NFL decided to do. They took three games and moved them from the weekend to uh, tonight and tomorrow. But in order to avoid future problems, 
What the NFL has done is changed its protocol for how it handles vaccinated players who test positive for the China virus. Now they have decided that they're just not going to test asymptomatic vaccinated players anymore. And if you stop testing them, well, then we stop having cases from them, which, you know, that's fine. This is many things. One thing it's not is following the science and just being guided by the science. It's an admission that an asymptomatic person is no threat to anyone else because otherwise you wouldn't care about the symptoms, right? You would test people because you're worried about whether or not someone has a positive test. For two years, we've been told that that positive test means you have COVID. If you have COVID, you need to quarantine for an extended period of time. It also means that their vaccination policy didn't do anything whatsoever. And of course it didn't, because the vaccines don't work how we were told they do. This is from TheAthletic.com on Saturday. NFL to reduce testing of asymptomatic vaccinated players in major shift to COVID-19 mitigation strategy. The NFL and NFLPA have agreed to a significant change to COVID-19 testing protocols aimed at keeping asymptomatic vaccinated players and coaches in the game and on sidelines. Pretty clear, right? If you test positive and you don't have symptoms, then they have decided you're not a threat to anyone. They are broadcasting this out to the world and no one from the very serious science community that Anthony Fauci runs and that our media constantly tells us is very serious and very smart. None of them are up in arms talking about how dangerous it will be to have all of these vaccinated, asymptomatic, potential carriers all together on the sideline all playing football very close to each other no one is treating this like it's got the potential to be a massive super spreader at every single stadium they just change the policy right in the middle and no one cares Starting Sunday, only vaccinated players and anyone experiencing potential symptoms of COVID-19 would undergo testing, according to a memo sent to teams and obtained by The Athletic. Asymptomatic players would be subject to random spot testing for the duration of the season. Unvaccinated players will still be tested daily. I would not describe it as we're stopping testing. We're trying to test smarter and in a more strategic fashion, said Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer. Players will also be provided at-home testing. Anyone who is vaccinated but considered a high-risk close contact to someone who is a confirmed positive case will be tested. This represents a major shift in the NFL's COVID-19 mitigation strategy, which for nearly two years included frequent testing for COVID-19. But as more than 100 players tested positive in the past week, nearly all of them vaccinated and most experiencing, at worst, mild symptoms, the NFL and NFLPA were forced to consider major changes to keep the season on track. You got that? The priority here is keeping the NFL season on track. It's amazing how easy it is 
to shift our priorities from you are killing everybody's grandmother to, well, you know, we can't be canceling games. Not this time of year with the Super Bowl coming up in like six weeks. And we could admit that we're liars, but what we're going to say instead is, well, if some grandmothers have to die for us to keep this football season on track, I guess that's just how it's got to be. Right? I mean, what else are we supposed to think? First came a move earlier this week to allow asymptomatic vaccinated players to test out of COVID-19 protocols more quickly. If they can post two negative tests on the same day or one negative test and an antibody test shows the individual has reached a certain level. (laughs) No question that we're going to see more and more people with Omicron that will test positive, have mild symptoms, clear them very quickly and test back in in less than 10 days, Sills said. Oh, you mean like everybody else, whether they're unvaccinated or not? The league already rescheduled three week 15 games as the Cleveland Browns, Washington football team and Los Angeles Rams each had more than 20 players on the reserve COVID-19 list. Each of those clubs also had a coach and or other staff members test positive this week. Now, as the NFL's testing policy is changing, we also have the actual tests changing and America's frontline doctors updated this story a week ago. This is from last Monday, but CDC withdraws support for PCR tests. Now we talked about this back in July when I think, I think that was when they first announced it. Um, but here we go. UD Sherman on America's frontline doctors.org. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will no longer recognize PCR tests as valid methods of diagnosing COVID-19 by the end of this year. The CDC announced in a lab alert on its website that it will be withdrawing its standing request to the Food and Drug Administration to grant emergency use authorization for PCR tests to be used to detect SARS-CoV-2. The request, which was issued in February 2020, will be withdrawn on December 31st, 2021 a move which signals that the CDC no longer approves of the use of PCR tests as valid diagnostic methods for COVID-19. The truth is they never were. In the CDC's own words, after December 31st, 2021, CDC will withdraw the request to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for emergency use authorization of the CDC 2019 novel coronavirus Real-time PCR diagnostic panel, the assay first introduced in February 2020 for detection of SARS-CoV-2 only. PCR tests are widely used in mass testing in the United States and across the globe to detect the presence of COVID-19 in individuals. The decision by the CDC made in July 2021, comes as reports of false positive results to COVID tests have been increasing. Despite corporate media's concerted efforts to discredit such reports, the climbing rate of false positive test results has gained international attention, most notably from real-life cases. As recently as December 2021, the NBA issued a statement confirming that basketball star LeBron James received a false positive result to a PCR test, which caused him to isolate from his family and miss a game against the Sacramento Kings. The false positive was subsequently refuted by two more PCR tests, the results of which were negative. And apparently that's the science, by the way. If two out of three tests that don't work show the same answer, 
and the other one shows the other answer, well, you got to take the two rather than the one, even though none of them work and none of them can distinguish between COVID-19 and the flu at all. Currently, the false positive rate for PCR tests is reported to be at least 5%. This means that in countries such as the United Kingdom, where over a million people are being tested daily, around 50,000 people a day are diagnosed as positive for COVID-19 and consequently undergo severe measures such as quarantine and strict isolation, despite not being infected at all. In countries such as Australia, which rapidly transformed into a police state after 400 COVID-19 positive cases were confirmed, false positive results can have dramatic effects. The accuracy of COVID testing in general has come into question since last year. In November 2020, Elon Musk announced that he had taken four COVID-19 tests in one day, two of which came back positive and two of which came back negative. The world's richest man irritated mainstream media with the following tweet. Something extremely bogus is going on. Was tested for COVID four times today. Two tests came back negative, two came back positive. Same machine, same test, same nurse. More recently, Australian medical manufacturer uh, Illum issued a recall for 2.2 million at-home COVID tests in the United States due to a high false positive rate. Many are questioning the reason for the CDC's decision to remove its support of PCR testing. If it is due to a high false positive rate, then that would contradict media reports that the accuracy of PCR tests is to be trusted. And it would also call into question the number of COVID-19 cases that have led some countries to impose draconian measures on their citizenries. On the other hand, if the CDC is not concerned with the false positive rate and considers PCR tests to be accurate detectors of COVID-19, then one wonders what other factors are at play that are enough to cancel such an effective method. And of course, that is correct. And let's recall early in the pandemic period when Donald Trump was talking about how if we do more tests, we get more cases. The media absolutely ripped him for that, even though it was 100% right the entire time. Now the NFL, by implication, is admitting that same thing and admitting the fact that asymptomatic spread is not a thing. Forcing people to undergo mitigation steps and to mask and to quarantine because they are asymptomatic but test positive is also totally pointless. All of this has been true the entire time. It should also become obviously true that none of these mitigation steps work. One of the most amusing trends right now on Twitter is all of the child brains bemoaning the fact that they now have COVID, even though they did everything right. Well, hey, child brains, I didn't do any of the stuff you did. None of it. Almost never wore a mask. Didn't stay home. Didn't get vaccinated. Didn't get a second vaccination. Didn't get a third vaccination. Didn't go along with any of your story whatsoever. In fact, I spoke out against it the entire time. And guess what? You and I now are in the same exact position, except my case of the Kron is less serious than your case of the Kron. And I didn't have my body injected with an experimental gene therapy that didn't help me at all, did hurt, and could cause me extraordinary health problems for the rest of my life. So if somehow you are the smart ones, you're gonna have to tell me how.
Now, this was a particularly devastating weekend for the illegitimate administration and its supporters because, honestly, everything for them is falling apart. There are all sorts of think pieces now about how the administration has had some successes, but the year is turning out to be an incredible failure marked mostly by crisis and incompetence even though calm and confidence was what we were sold through the campaign that Joe Biden didn't really participate in. He just basically stayed in his basement and the media told everybody what to say and what to think. And everybody who hated Trump for social credit just repeated those things over and over and over again as if they knew what they were talking about. But here is one of many examples from this weekend, and this is from CNN on Saturday. Harris says Biden administration didn't see Delta or Omicron coming. Vice President Kamala Harris said the Biden administration didn't see either Delta or Omicron coronavirus variants coming, appearing to reinforce the perception that the federal response was caught flat footed by the more severe Delta variant that swept over the country in the summertime. And what do they mean the more severe Delta variant? What is the Delta variant more severe than? The original COVID variant? No, it's not. They said it was more transmissible. But remember, according to The Lancet, a massive study in the UK said that they can't actually distinguish between early onset COVID-19 symptoms and vaccine reactions. And remember, you don't count as vaccinated until two weeks after your full dose well, your original full dose. And they're going to classify your vaccine reaction, your vaccine injury, your vaccine death as a coronavirus death. Okay. So all of that has to be taken into account when you're talking about what the coronavirus numbers are like this year. It is not and has never been a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We didn't see Delta coming. I think most scientists did not, upon whose advice and direction we have relied, didn't see Delta coming, Harris told the Los Angeles Times in a year-end interview. We didn't see Omicron coming. And that's the nature of what this is, this awful virus has been, which, as it turns out, has mutations and variants. Oh, thank goodness we have such smart and competent leadership in the office of fake vice president. A Harris advisor told CNN that the vice president was referring to, quote, the exact kind of mutation, end quote, and not the prevalence of the variants themselves. CNN has provided the official anonymity in order to more freely discuss Harris's comments. <laughs> yeah, because if the shill in the administration trying to make up something that the fake vice president clearly didn't say was named, well, then they would be in trouble for shilling too hard for the fake administration. The vice president's comments referred to the exact kind of mutation, the advisor told CNN. The administration knew mutations were possible. It's the reason we ordered extra tests, extra gear, and extra PPE. Yes, yes. Thank goodness they did that because... Everyone knows that two years ago, we had problems with that stuff, sort of. 
It is the reason the president, vice president, and our entire administration warned early and often that the best way to get on the other side of the pandemic is to get vaccinated. We were and continue to be prepared. Of course, that's not the best way to get on the other side of anything, except for a safe and healthy American public. If you want to get on the other side of that and put the entire population in danger, by all means, vax up. But Harris's comments, as reported, fly in the face of an administration who has gone to great lengths to project competence and make clear to the American people that they are on top of the virus. Still, the advisor argued Harris's comments need more context. She and the president have warned for months. They said the best way to get on the other side is to get vaccinated. Why were they doing that? Because they were clear mutations could occur, the advisor said. Oh, uh-huh. You got that? So the reason for getting the vaccine, the reason they were pushing the vaccine so hard is because they knew that mutations could be coming. So when Harris speaks for herself and said they didn't see Delta or Omicron coming, she was right and honest, but just in the wrong way. And again, that's what they always say and do. They want to add context right? It's not going to change the truth value of the thing that they're saying. That's not what the context is there to do. And it's not there to actually help you understand what they're saying relative to a real situation. What they are doing is substantively changing the content of what's being said and then giving you an excuse for why you shouldn't think what they said was wrong or a problem. That's what they mean when they say context. To them, context is basically an excuse. And of course, Anthony Fauci hit the Sunday morning shows to talk about how they knew all along there would be variants. And of course they did. It's in their planning documents, like the SPARS pandemic 2025 to 2028 by the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, which you can easily find in the info stream at t.me slash I'm your moderator, just simply use the search feature and type in SPARS, S-P-A-R-S. And in that document, written in 2017, you will see the entire narrative operation for COVID-19 played out years in advance, as if they knew something like this might happen. And if you think that sounds a little conspiratorial, like it just can't be true, it doesn't matter what he's saying, it can't be true. There's no way these experts would plan something like this out. They just couldn't. It's too evil. It's too complicated. There are too many moving parts. It's just simply not possible. And it's not possible that all of these same people would have profited so greatly from something so evil that they clearly did plan out four years ago. It's just not possible. And that genius Kamala Harris comment came on the heels of this little masterpiece. Here she is with radio host Charlemagne the God. Okay. And you might recognize Charlemagne as being the guy to whom Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. It's Joe Manchin. No. I want to know who's the real president of this country. Is it, Bi- is it Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? 
She, she can hear me. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me, Madam okay, Vice President? Oh, so I'm sorry. You got a rap. Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. They're acting like they can't hear me. <laughs> I can hear you. Oh, so who's the I real? So who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really. On, I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell. No, no, sometimes. no, 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 no. It's Joe Biden, and don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? It's Joe, and, it's Joe, and it's Joe Biden, and I'm vice president, and my name is Kamala Harris. And the reality is, because we are in office, we do the things like the child tax credit, which is going to reduce black child poverty by 50% on track to do that. We do things that are about saying that our Department of Justice is going to do these investigations and require that we end chokeholds and have body cameras. It is- How hilarious is it that 11 months to the day of the fake administration being in place, they are still trying to defend the fact that Joe Biden really is president. Like, that question was pretty innocuous. I mean, maybe it was a little disrespectful if Joe Biden was a real president, but Joe Biden isn't a real president. Joe Biden is an illegitimate president, and he's not even making the decisions of a real president despite his illegitimacy. He is just reading things other people write from television studios. Now, it wouldn't be the case that Joe Manchin actually had the power he has if the administration had any sort of legitimacy, but it doesn't. They have no mandate to govern. The people do not want what they are trying to pass, which is why none of their programs pass. The only time they've made any advancement on any of their priorities is when Mitch McConnell hands them wins for no reason other than the fact that Mitch McConnell is a rhino and a traitor. The Democrats cheated their way to a Senate majority. At the very, very least, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff should not be in the Senate. Okay, just wipe them out. They didn't win. They lost On November 3rd, 2020, they would have lost again on January 5th, 2021, but both elections were obviously decided by election fraud. And so there they sit. Also, Alex Padilla is sitting in his position in California because Kamala Harris is fake vice president due to election fraud and then replaced herself with Alex Padilla. Mark Kelly has no business representing the state of Arizona in the Senate, and the list goes on. So there is not an actual mandate or a real majority in the Senate for the Democrats to pass legislation with in the first place. You cannot pass legislation with one party unless that party is given a mandate to govern, and this party clearly was not. They are getting nothing done, and thank goodness. But all of that discussion was before this even happened. I'm going to explain it to the people of West Virginia. I can't vote for it. And I cannot 
vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no on this legislation. I have tried everything I know to do. And uh, the president has worked diligently. He's been wonderful to work with. He knows I've had concerns and, and, and the problems I've had. And So there goes Klaus Schwab's Build Back Better agenda. And remember, that's what they were calling Joe Biden's signature legislation, as if he made the whole thing up himself and somehow eight or nine other nations around the world were just like, Joe Biden's plan for communism is so smart that we're going to join that plan. It's amazing to me that the people who voted for Joe Biden have actually never realized what Build Back Better actually is. It's not hard. And again, I will say, if you want to know how little Joe Biden had to do with conceiving of Build Back Better, well, you could simply read Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, or go to YouTube and type in Build Back Better compilation and see how many world leaders are saying Build Back Better, Build Back Better, Build Back Better. All over the world, people are saying it. They didn't all read Joe Biden's plan and say, my, my, that might work in my country, too. We are going to save the world from climate change (laughs) while also saving the world from racism. And we're going to do it by allowing open borders everywhere and tracking everything our citizens do so that we can make sure that eventually by 2030 they will own nothing and love it and you know what else they're going to love eating crickets so joe biden's signature legislation is falling apart courtesy of joe manchin now it's possible that the communists could scrape off one or two or ten Fake Republicans like Mitt Romney or Lisa Murkowski or Mitch McConnell. That is totally possible that they will still get to that point. But for right now, it's dead. And so they have pretended to shift their attention back to the voting rights legislation that no one wanted to pass in August. So they enter the holiday season with no accomplishments on any issue whatsoever and historically awful poll numbers, and two illegitimate people pretending to be president and vice president who can't get out of their own way due to the fact that they are so unlikable and so incompetent. But it's not only the two of them who are incompetent. This is a statement from Jen Psaki in response to Joe Manchin. Senator Manchin's comments this morning on Fox are at odds with his discussions this week with the president, with White House staff, and with his own public utterances. Weeks ago, Senator Manchin committed to the president at his home in Wilmington to support the Build Back Better framework that the president then subsequently announced. Senator Manchin pledged repeatedly to negotiate on finalizing that framework in good faith. 
On Tuesday of this week, Senator Manchin came to the White House and submitted to the president in person directly a written outline for a Build Back Better bill that was the same size and scope as the president's framework and covered many of the same priorities. While that framework was missing key priorities, we believed it could lead to a compromise acceptable to all. Senator Manchin promised to continue conversations in the days ahead and work with us to reach that common ground. If his comments on Fox and written statement indicate an end to that effort, they represent a sudden and inexplicable reversal in his position and a breach of his commitments to the president and the senator's colleagues in the House and Senate. Senator Manchin claims that this change of position is related to inflation, but the think tank he often cites on Build Back Better, the Penn Wharton Budget Institute, issued a report less than 48 hours ago that noted the Build Back Better Act will have virtually no impact on inflation in the short term and in the long run, the policies it includes will ease inflationary pressures. Many leading economists with whom Senator Manchin frequently consults also support Build Back Better. Now, again, None of that is true, okay? The idea that this multi-trillion dollar plan that is not paid for, not even close to paid for, it is literally planned to be paid for in permanent escalating debt, all right? Permanent trillion dollar deficits forever that just mount on top of each other year after year after year. And they had the plan scored assuming that programs they knew would not end in a couple years actually would end in a couple years so that they could just hide the total costs of the program. Their economists continue to pretend that it won't add to the deficit and that it won't make the inflation problem worse. But that's not what actual serious economists think. This is what partisan economists think who have a personal stake in watching the project of global communism advance. It turns out there are actually economists with political positions and political desires, and not all of them are honest. Sometimes they just say things because they benefit one side of the political spectrum and an agenda. And it turns out that's exactly what they're doing here. It's no different than when economists pretend that lockdowns didn't hurt the economy. You can find articles that say that. You can find articles that say anything because some people, including some experts, actually, especially some experts, will say whatever they're incentivized to say. And Jen Psaki may think that the audience for her statement is stupid, but it doesn't mean that all of Joe Manchin's constituents are. Build Back Better lowers costs that families pay. It will reduce what families pay for childcare. It will reduce what they pay for prescription drugs. It will lower healthcare premiums. And it puts a tax cut in the pockets of families with kids. If someone is concerned about the impact that higher prices are having on families, this bill gives them a break. And again, when you are already being destroyed financially by this response to the coronavirus and by the fake administration being in office, Getting a small tax break is not going to fix your problem or fix the rising prices or offset the rising prices as she's implying. Steve Bannon had an interesting way of referring to this. I think it was on Friday. He was basically talking about these little tax breaks, these little payoffs as tips. 
And think about what he means when he says that, right? So we have the uh, the AOCs of the world, right? The people who are sitting high atop the global communist structure. Not all the way up, of course, right? She's not like running things, controlling things. She is a mouthpiece for global communists and more or less just an Instagram influencer. She doesn't have real power. She casts her vote by proxy, just like everyone else in the Democrat Communist Party. And she makes a lot of noise on social media. She doesn't have uh, serious and sophisticated thoughts. She doesn't get things done in the Congress. She just relays a message. But people like her stand to benefit from this power structure remaining in place, obviously. And then below that ruling class, there is a worker class, which is on its way to being a slave class. And that class of people will be given tips like this out of people like AOC's largesse. She will support and vote for $300 checks going to each family. And then people like Bernie Sanders, people like AOC, people like the uh, demented president will go out and say, Republicans are keeping the families of America from receiving this $300. If they're so concerned about inflation, why do they want to prevent Americans from getting $300? And the point is, people in America who are getting crushed by inflation and this economy and the fake administration, $300 might help them for a few days, but $300 doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't come anywhere close to fixing the problem. It just makes them feel more indebted to the people who are actively ruining their lives in the first place. People don't want tips. They want lives they can sustain because they used to have that until it was destroyed by these people. Back to Jen Psaki. Senator Manchin cited deficit concerns in his statement, but the plan is fully paid for. No, it's not. Is the most fiscally responsible major bill that Congress has considered in years. What? And reduces the deficit in the long run. No, it doesn't. The Congressional Budget Office report that the senator cites analyzed an unfunded extension of Build Back Better. That's not what the president has proposed, not the bill the Senate would vote on, and not what the president would support. Senator Manchin knows that. The president has told him that repeatedly, including this week, face-to-face. And again, what she is talking about is the idea that the programs in the plan actually keep going. In the plan they have written out and that they have scored, some of those programs stop after three years, even though they continue well into the future and truthfully forever. That is what they want, right? This is a system, a structure that they are trying to put in place forever. This isn't some fix in the short term or the medium term. This is them trying to initiate the great global reset In the United States economy, that's what this bill is. Likewise, Senator Manchin's statement about the climate provisions in Build Back Better are wrong. Build Back Better will produce a job-creating clean energy future for this country, including West Virginia, except not including West Virginia. West Virginia has coal miners. Do those coal miners get to keep having jobs? No. But what can they do? Oh, well, they can learn to code 
or they can move to a communist state and then figure out how to get jobs in the green economy. Because we're told that that's something that will happen. And we just have to trust them that it's true. I mean, they're the experts. Just as Senator Manchin reversed his position on Build Back Better this morning, we will continue to press him to see if he will reverse his position yet again to honor his prior commitments and be true to his word. In the meantime, Senator Manchin will have to explain to those families paying $1,000 a month for insulin why they need to keep paying that instead of $35 for that vital medicine. And the answer is because of the pharma companies that these communists work hand-to-hand with. He will have to explain to the nearly 2 million women who would get the affordable daycare they need to return to work why he opposes a plan to help them get the help they need. Hmm. Maybe Senator Manchin can explain to the millions of children who have been lifted out of poverty, in part due to the child tax credit, why he wants to end a program that is helping achieve this milestone. We cannot. We are proud of what we have gotten done in 2021. The American Rescue Plan, the fastest decrease in unemployment in U.S. history, the bipartisan infrastructure law, over 200 million Americans vaccinated, schools reopened, the fastest rollout of vaccines to children anywhere in the world, and historic appointments to the federal judiciary. Now, basically everything she just described were things that Trump did better than them, like the federal judiciary. Things that Trump enabled, like the economic recovery to whatever degree the economy has recovered, or improvements in the problems that the fake administration and the global communist agenda at large is responsible for creating in the first place. But we will not relent in the fight to help Americans with their child care, health care, prescription drug costs, and elder care. And to combat climate change, the fight for Build Back Better is too important to give up. We will find a way to move forward next year. And who knows why in the world the press secretary for the fake administration is putting out statements like this, which are basically just trying to take down a senator from their own party. That is not going to benefit them in the long run. But I want to return to Anthony Fauci for a second because this story dropped on Friday and this article is from Saturday on The Blaze. NIH director Francis Collins told Anthony Fauci there needs to be a quick and devastating takedown of anti-lockdown declaration by fringe Harvard, Stanford, Oxford epidemiologists. Newly exposed emails show outgoing NIH Director Francis Collins commanding Dr. Anthony Fauci to carry out a, quote, quick and devastating takedown of a statement by public health experts calling for focused protection of the most vulnerable populations. Emails show that Fauci would indeed attack the declaration. Infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists authored the Great Barrington Declaration, a document that argues against COVID-19 lockdowns that was released on October 4th, 2020. Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health, the declaration stated. Keeping these measures in place until a vaccine is available will cause irreparable damage with the underprivileged disproportionately harmed. As immunity builds in the population, the risk of infection to all, including the vulnerable, falls, the epidemiologists wrote. 
We know that all populations will eventually reach herd immunity, i.e. the point at which the rate of new infections is stable, and that this can be assisted by, but is not dependent upon, a vaccine. Our goal should therefore be to minimize mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity, end quote. And that's just a bit of the Great Barrington Declaration. Again, this is from October 4th, 2020. This Great Barrington Declaration has been signed onto by over 10,000 scientists in the world. These people are in every single way experts on par, truthfully better, than the experts we have to listen to on television who tell us that people like Anthony Fauci are also experts. More than 15,000 medical and public health scientists have allegedly signed the Great Barrington Declaration, and over 45,000 medical practitioners have endorsed the document. The health advice in the Great Barrington Declaration was the complete opposite of what top U.S. public officials espoused. And that that number may be right that it's 15,000, but Steve Bannon had uh, Martin Koldorf, who is the Harvard epidemiologist, and Jeffrey Tucker, who is the publisher responsible for the Brownstone Institute. He had them on the show this morning. They cited 10,000. That's where I got that number from. Four days after the Great Barrington Declaration was released, Collins instructed Fauci and Clifford Lane, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Deputy Director for Clinical Research and Special Projects, to engage in a takedown of the anti-lockdown declaration, according to emails. The House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis obtained and released the emails between the public health officials. This proposal from three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary seems to be getting a lot of attention and even a co-signature from Nobel Prize winner Mike Levitt at Stanford. Collins wrote in an email sent on October 8th, 2020. There needs to be a quick and devastating takedown of its premises. Collins wrote in reference to the Great Barrington Declaration. Now, you've got to understand what this is, okay? These are the U.S. government's two top health officials, right? Public health officials. Dr. Francis Collins at the NIH and Nazi doctor Anthony Fauci at the NIAID. And their email is not discussing whether or not the Great Barrington Declaration has any validity scientifically. And they are not discussing ways in which the lockdowns actually might have helped based on any data that they can use to put their point of view out there, right? If this was proper science and they had legitimate problems with what the Great Barrington Declaration said, well, then they could use other science and make their case. But that's not what they're doing because there's nothing in the Great Barrington Declaration that doesn't comport with decades and decades of science. So what they're looking for is propaganda that will refute in some way what the Great Barrington Declaration has said. And he is talking about three world-renowned experts, Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, Martin Kuldorf from Harvard, and Sunetra Gupta from Oxford. There is nothing fringe about any of them. Fauci responded to Collins' direction by promoting a Wired UK article with the headline, There is no scientific divide over herd immunity. Phil Magnus, 
senior research faculty and interim research and education director at the American Institute for Economic Research, noted that the Wired UK article from October 2020 stated that the Great Barrington Declaration is irrelevant because lockdowns are in the past. Fauci then shared an article from progressive outlet The Nation titled Focused Protection, Herd Immunity and Other Deadly Delusions. But Kuldorf, Bhattacharya, and Gupta's plan, enshrined as the Great Barrington Declaration, unveiled at the American Institute for Economic Research this week, is not the way forward, the article read. If we're going to build toward a new politics of care, it will be by relying on progressive principles of justice and equality, not some notion of survival of the young and the fittest. Greg Gonsalves, the author of the Nation article, reportedly emailed Collins to thank him for speaking out against the Great Barrington Declaration and for doing it undiplomatically. Gonsalves also agreed in calling the Great Barrington Declaration epidemiologists fringe. Fauci attacked the Great Barrington Declaration during an ABC News appearance on October 15th, 2020. That declaration has a couple things in it that I think are fooling people because it says things that are like apple pie and motherhood, Fauci told ABC News. A, we don't want to shut down the country. I say that all the time. B, we do certainly want to protect the vulnerable. Fauci sent an email to the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, Deborah Burks, on October 16th, 2020. Over the past week, I have come out very strongly publicly against the Great Barrington Declaration, Fauci wrote, adding that he will connect with her later today or over the weekend. Collins described the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration as fringe. The three fringe epidemiologists are Martin Kuldorf, Ph.D., an epidemiologist at Harvard, Sunetra Gupta, Ph.D., an epidemiologist at Oxford, and Jay Bhattacharya, M.D., Ph.D., a professor and public health policy expert at Stanford. Bhattacharya reacted to Collins' email by writing on Twitter, So now I know what it feels like to be the subject of a propaganda attack by my own government. Discussion and engagement would have been a better path. Koldorf responded by saying, A year ago, NIH Director Francis Collins asked Fauci to do a devastating published takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration. A public debate would have been better. Invitation still open. Gupta has yet to issue a statement, but she retweeted the above statements made by colleagues. The House Select Committee on the Coronavirus Crisis said Collins, quote, expressed deep concerns about the herd immunity strategy being advocated by these fringe epidemiologists, end quote. Collins was asked about the takedown during a Fox News interview on Friday, to which he replied, well, okay, if it's that specific, there were people like Scott Atlas that said, don't worry about this business of putting on masks or asking people to isolate themselves or stay distanced. Let it rip. Let this virus run through the country until everybody has had it and will have herd immunity. Atlas, who was an advisor on former President Donald Trump's White House Coronavirus Task Force, does not show up as one of the prominent signatories on the Great Barrington Declaration website. And that last part is important to note because you can see that Collins is straight up just trying a an ad hominem to distract from the substance of what he's talking about. Scott Atlas has nothing to do with this except for when Francis Collins adds him to the conversation. And none of what he just said is actually true in regards to the Great Barrington Declaration. The Great Barrington Declaration is its own thing. You can read it. It's easy to find online. But Collins would rather appeal 
to the mitigation steps that they have propagandized into some people's reality. Okay, there is no benefit to masking or locking down. Neither thing worked at all anywhere. There is no data to support either thing working at all anywhere in terms of disease reduction. And there is plenty of data to support both things being not only exactly the wrong solution, but both of them being uniquely harmful. But it's also very important to see these emails for what they are. And, you know, the Fauci emails are have all been damning. Not that anyone in the mainstream media pays attention to them. But this is an example. This is proof that these people, Fauci and Collins, and their corrupt communist co-conspirators are running a coordinated propaganda campaign that supports one singular view that just so happens to be anti-scientific. This is a propaganda campaign. This is not the science. This is not experts talking about what should be done. It is only propaganda and the politics of personal destruction for anyone who goes against the propaganda. And now changing subjects without a segue. Let's see what's happening in Ukraine. This is from Reuters today. Ukraine accuses former President Poroshenko of treason. Hmm, that sounds like a big deal. Ukrainian authorities placed former President Petro Poroshenko under formal investigation for high treason on Monday, accusing him of links to financing separatist forces in the eastern Donbass region. Officials said the accusations against Poroshenko were related to similar charges against pro-Russian lawmaker Viktor Medvedchuk, who has been under house arrest for about six months. And if you missed that sleight of hand right there, what they're trying to do is tie Poroshenko to pro-Russian views. Okay, that is only sleight of hand. This is nonsense. Medvedchuk's and Poroshenko's political parties denied wrongdoing. Alexander Turchinov, a senior official in Poroshenko's European Solidarity Party, said in a statement the accusation was fabricated on the instruction of President Volodymyr Zelensky, and it would turn into a farce just like all the previous ones. Ukraine has been at war with Russia-backed separatists in the Donbass region since 2014. Medvedchuk, whose political party is the second largest in parliament, is a Ukrainian citizen but has close ties with Russian President Vladimir Putin and said the Russian leader is godfather to his daughter. Ukraine's state investigative bureau said in a statement that Poroshenko was suspected of, quote, facilitating the activities, end quote, of terrorist organizations in a preliminary conspiracy with an unnamed group of people, including some top officials in Russia. In October, law enforcement officials accused Medvedchuk of colluding with officials during Poroshenko's administration to buy coal mines in separatist-held areas in 2014 and 2015 as a way of financing the separatists. Poroshenko's party in October called those accusations a smokescreen to divert attention from the government's own wrongdoing. Officials said last week the bureau could not summon Poroshenko for questioning in person. Poroshenko's party said the former president had left the country for a planned trip. How convenient! Ukraine faced an acute fuel shortage after separatists seized territory where coal mines were located. Prosecutors accused Medvedchuk of colluding with the state officials to block coal purchases from the international market. Well, what that article didn't have a lot of detail on was exactly why they accused Poroshenko. 
And why would state propaganda for the global communist party, like Reuters, try to tie Poroshenko to Medvedchuk and then ignore what Poroshenko actually did? Well, this could be one reason. And this is a recording of Joe Biden and Petro Poroshenko on November 16th, 2016. Let me ask you one thing before I forget. Pravat Bank. Um, uh, I understand uh, the, uh, the, uh, the governor of the bank is, uh, is tentative about setting a date certain for the transition to take place. And I'm being told secondhand that I don't know this is her position for sure, that she is unsure of a date until she gets an agreement from you. I told, here's what I've told them. I've told them to get back to her and set a date and I would talk to you about the date. Um, because this is getting very, very close. What I don't want to have happen, I don't want Trump to get in a position where he thinks he's about to buy onto a policy where the financial system is going to collapse and he's going to be looked to to pour more money into Ukraine. That's how he'll think about it before he gets sophisticated enough to know the details. So anything you can do to push the, the, the Pravat Bank uh, um, to closure so that the IMF loan comes forward, I would respectfully suggest is critically important to your economic as well as physical security. I know it's difficult. I know Kolomorsky is a pain in the ass and a problem for everybody, but, um, but it really is critical that, uh, that, that, that we, you guys figure this one out. And you've been good. You've, you've publicly spoken out as I've asked you to do. You've done that. I just want you to give the, uh, what she called the commissioner, the governor, the, the, the governor of the bank, give her some spine, uh, let her know that you're going to be standing there um, when she sets a date and moves forward. This is very important what I hear from you, and uh, I think that, that on the 22nd of, of November, on, on uh, Tuesday, I will have a final report from Ernst & Young audit, and we agreed that me, Prime Minister, Minister of Finance, Governor, I invite Arseni and our uh, security officers should meet and make a decision about the date. Uh, the only reason I have after 22nd, when I have an audit report, we have a uh, voting of the budget in the parliament where Skolomoisky has a significant number of members of parliament and the Prime Minister asked me to vote budget first and then launch in the process. This is the confidential information, but... Uh, I'll keep that with me. I'll keep that with me. That, my friends, is corruption playing right out on audio. And it just so happens that Joe Biden's corrupt dealings in Ukraine were the subject matter that the Democrat Communist Party was attempting to cover up by staging the first fake impeachment of Donald Trump at the end of 2019. Do you think it'll come back around to bite Joe Biden? Yeah, it will. 
Now, finally, I just want to check in with Technofog regarding the Durham investigation. This is from this morning on Technofog Substack. It's official. Durham is investigating the Clinton campaign. The latest filings by special counsel John Durham reveal that lawyers for the Hillary Clinton campaign now represent Christopher Steele primary subsource Igor Danchenko. In doing so, Durham reveals something else, that the Hillary Clinton campaign and multiple former employees of the Hillary Clinton campaign are under investigation. Let's walk through the latest developments. Igor Danchenko, the primary subsource of Christopher Steele, was arrested on November 3rd, 2021 for giving multiple false statements to federal officials during his 2017 interviews with the FBI. These include lies about Danchenko's sources, his travels to Russia, and his falsified contacts with Sergei Milian. We laid out Danchenko's indictment here, and they link to that article. Notably, special counsel John Durham alleges that one of Danchenko's real sources was Charles Dolan Jr., perhaps first identified by Aaron Maté, who served in various leadership positions to elect Bill Clinton in the 1992 and 1996 campaigns and was an advisor to Hillary Clinton in her 2016 campaign for president. With Dolan's involvement, the obvious question becomes whether he was the intermediary between the Clinton campaign and Danchenko. After all, we know that the Hillary Clinton campaign paid for the Steele dossier and the work by Fusion GPS. This was arranged through their attorney and the DNC attorneys at Perkins Coie, notably Mark Elias and Michael Sussman. Elias left the firm this summer. Sussman was indicted in September 2021 by special counsel Durham for giving false statements relating to the Alpha Bank Trump hoax. It is highly likely that the Clinton campaign was receiving updates on the Fusion GPS Christopher Steele work once they were hired by Perkins Coie in the spring of 2016. This is the work the client, the Clinton campaign, paid for. The sharing of this info would be consistent with the Clinton campaign, notably Jake Sullivan, receiving back-channel updates on the Alpha Bank hoax. If the Clinton campaign was being informed of the work by Fusion GPS, what of the likelihood that the Clinton campaign was informing the work of Fusion GPS? It was Clinton's idea to link Trump and Russia in the first place. And associates of the Clinton campaign, Sidney Blumenthal, were working to corroborate parts of the dossier. With that in mind, I leave you this bit of information provided by the New York Times in September, suggesting the complicity of the Clinton campaign. Some of the questions that Mr. Durham's team has been asking in recent months, including of witnesses it subpoenaed before a grand jury, according to the people familiar with some of the sessions, suggest he has been pursuing a theory that the Clinton campaign used Perkins Coie to submit dubious information to the FBI about Russia and Mr. Trump in an effort to gin up investigative activity to hurt his 2016 campaign. Now, let's review what's going on in Danchenko's criminal case. He was originally represented by Chris Schaffbuck and Mark Schammel. On December 6, 2021, Stuart Sears appeared on behalf of Danchenko. Schaffbuck and Schammel dropped out of the case. According to Durham's latest filing, Stuart Sears is a partner at the law firm Shirtler, uh, Onorato, Mead and Sears, notably. The firm is currently representing the 2016 Hillary for America presidential campaign, as well as multiple former employees of that campaign in matters before the special counsel. And he links to part of the filing. Did you catch that? I'll emphasize the Hillary Clinton campaign and its employees are subject to, quote, matters before the special counsel, end quote. Durham notices the potential conflict of interest, informing the court that Danchenko's trial might raise the following issues. One, 
The Clinton campaign's knowledge or lack of knowledge concerning the veracity of information in the Fusion GPS reports sourced by Danchenko. Two, the Clinton campaign's awareness or lack of awareness of Danchenko's collection methods and subsources. Three, meetings or communications between and among the Clinton campaign, Fusion GPS, and or Steele regarding or involving Danchenko. Four, Danchenko knowledge or lack of knowledge regarding the Clinton campaign's role in and activities surrounding the Fusion GPS reports. And five, the extent to which the Clinton campaign and or its representatives directed, solicited, or controlled Danchenko's activities. Durham even raises the potential that members of the Clinton campaign may be called to testify at Danchenko's trial. To this observer, it seems like the Clinton campaign's involvement in the dossier might be deeper than anyone really knows. And once again, it is possible that all of this will come to absolutely nothing. The mainstream media will never report it. Your commie friends who you have tried to spend the last 18 months convincing that they are wrong and they are supporting one of the most evil regimes in history. They might never come to understand these facts. That's possible. On the other hand, there is an obvious pattern of extraordinary exposure coming at every single level of the global communist system. The general public is slowly waking up to all that this actually is and all that it represents. This is extraordinary corruption on the part of the Clinton campaign in setting up a hoax to try to destroy a presidential campaign and then the actual presidency of a duly elected American president. Okay, that is a soft coup. It is very likely treason. Joe Biden and Barack Obama knew about it and they executed it in coordination with the CIA and the FBI and other elements of law enforcement, our Department of Justice and the judicial system itself. All of that is true. Joe Biden actually had corrupt dealings with foreign adversaries like China and Russia and Ukraine. That is true as well. And it's coming out. People in the world actually know these things. I'm sorry, your friends don't. That is unfortunate, but they will. And then you've got Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins just straight up exposed as propagandists and liars who have a personal campaign that they are waging against world renowned experts because they're saying the no, no things. This is corruption at the absolute highest levels by the very people these communists think they should trust all the time. Well, you're welcome to think nothing's happening. I don't think that. And I think it is pretty obvious that something extreme is actually happening right now. The number of people waking up to what has happened to them in terms of the coronavirus is extraordinary. I know people in my personal life who have been hardcore against Trump, all about COVID, all of it, the whole thing. They believed absolutely every little bit of it. And even they are coming around at this point. The narrative is collapsing. And that light at the end of the tunnel, we might not be there yet. And that might not be the end. But there will be a new phase beginning at that point where the public finally does understand. And we are approaching that point. So you just keep telling the truth, keep standing up, 
and never, ever comply. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!